it's an unheard of foodie bargain. You know, coffee continues to be a crazy bargain for consumers. And so when people tell me, wow, coffee is just getting too expensive. I mean, coffee should be a dollar a serving for the best. That would be $50 a pound. And a dollar a serving is still a deal. I can't get a glass of wine for a dollar a glass anywhere. I can't get a beer that's good for a dollar. So we there's a lot of room there. Uh, you know, coffee is not salt and ketchup and it, it's not a condiment where it's supposed to be cheap. Hold on, hold on, let me guess. I bet you're here because you like coffee. Ha <laughs> I knew I was right. Look no further. You have picked the right podcast to listen to. I'm Kenneth Thomas, and this is Coffee 101, brought to you by Humble Coffee Company. Coffee 101 is your complete knowledge base for all things coffee. Listen to the show, and you'll be able to make phenomenal coffee basically anywhere under a house or i mean you could make it there or you know up in a tree or just anywhere i mean you can do the normal places like your kitchen or you know out in public but uh this is the show for you season one takes us on coffee's journey from seed to shelf and we're getting there we have actually moved out of the farm now And today we're going to be talking about coffee certifications. We're going to be talking again to Mark Inman with Sustainable Harvest, who also knows an extreme amount on coffee certifications. And I think this is a really important episode uh, because I think a lot of these certifications can be confusing and there's pros and cons to each of them. So I'm glad that he could help clear some things up. I'm joined in the studio today by Katie. Hello again. And we're glad to have you. Yeah. It's nice to be here with you guys. Yeah. Learning about coffee. Yep. And, um, you know, we talked Katie last time with Mark about Mm -hmm. green coffee grading. Right. And you learned a lot. Yes. And I learned a little bit too. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm not past learning. Yeah. No, you're not. No. Learning every day. Yeah. What do they call it? Like, uh, I have no idea. When when somebody's like a learner, lifelong. A lifelong lifelong learner. learner. I wish I could just like. Triple L. I'm a triple L. You're a triple L. Uh Nice. I wish I could just taste. That's the wrong word. I wish I could just take like inspirational quotes out of my back pocket and yeah. just like give them to people. That's not yeah. a skill I have, but I'm jealous of all of you who do have that skill. Yeah, especially the ones that, that can taste inspirational quotes yes. in, out of their back pocket. Yeah. 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 So, what do you know about certifications? Have you seen uh, certifications on bags, like little stamps, like on coffee yes. bags? Yeah. Yes. But I don't know what they're certifying. Amen. 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 I mean, like, that's the thing is like, they have these cute little certifications, but like, we what does it what mean? mean? Yeah. I know. And I feel like um, the world's going in a direction where everyone needs to know everything yeah. about like what they're consuming. Absolutely. So, I mean, now you're here. Now you'll know what the certifications are on your bag of coffee. You're welcome. 
Yes. So, and it actually turns out there aren't that many. Um, so we will hit the like real ones in this interview. Um, and honestly, if you see any certifications that are outside of what we talk about on the show today, um, I just don't know that they're legit. Necessary. And it could just be that they're just kind of making it up because it helps Maybe. sell coffee. Certified. Yep. Mm. So there are a few different ones out there. Um, you know, the one of the big things is we just, you know, we don't a lot of times know what it means versus just feeling good because we're buying a coffee that has like certified organic on it or something like that. It just makes us certified like, gluten free coffee. They don't have that. But if <laughs> that's what like all the bags say of like soda, it'll that's true. say like certified gluten free, yeah. peanut free. Yeah, but like um, that would be tricking the consumer because wow, hopefully it's gluten free. Hopefully, that's crazy. Hopefully, all of the coffee would be gluten free. Uh, if it's not, then we got a problem. True. Um, okay, so let me ask you this: So, what if your bag doesn't have that certification stamped on it? Does it mean that the farmer did not meet those requirements? Yeah, it's kind of scary. Well, so here's the thing: is that and we'll talk about it uh, in the interview, but just because they don't have that certification does not mean that they actually didn't technically follow what would have been required for that certification. Um, so you'll have to stick with the interview and listen, one on ers out there, because that's an important um, thing that, that we'll talk about. Yep. Um, with certifications... They usually have third-party auditors to ensure that the certification standards are met. And usually the farmer, but sometimes also other people in the coffee chain, like the buyer or even the importer, have to pay for the certification and or they have to have special equipment for the certification. Mm -hmm. So with all of that background, are you ready to talk to Mark Inman? Yes. All right. Let's go to him. Mark, it's great to have you back. Thank you very much. It looks like I made the cut and you wanted me back here, so <laughs> glad to be here. It's either you made the cut or like we're just scrounging in the bottom of the You're barrel. out of guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, we wanted to have you back um, because of your expertise. Um, you've been in the coffee industry for, for uh, decades, even though you're only 19 years old. That's correct. And... Yeah. Um, we talked about, I guess last time we had you on, we talked about green coffee grading. Um, yes. People are welcome to go back. I think that was a couple of episodes ago. We talked about that. Uh, and check that out. Um, and today we're going to talk about certifications. Absolutely. One of my strong suits. All right. So let's just jump right in. And um, I'll go ahead and tell our one on ers out there. We are going to talk about seven different certifications and and mark may even have some that uh that i haven't hit and you'll have to stay through the end of the episode because towards the end uh mark before we got on the recording told me about a brand new one that i didn't know anything about so yeah you'll have to stay and listen to all of it so the first one we're going to talk about is usda organic correct 
So USDA organic is um, an offshoot of just the organic certification that was popularized from the 1960s. Actually, it really was, you know, goes back a lot longer than that. But in essence, it's farming without the use of synthetic agrochemicals. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not, a lot of people will say it's just chemical free farming. And that is an oversimplification of what's going on there. Uh, It's actually farming, um, creating nutrients at the farm level. So a lot of composting, a lot of, uh, you know, different fermented preparations to build uh, uh, bacterial activity in the soil. Mm -hmm. Um, You rely on biodiversity at the farm level. Um, So you usually have, you know, in coffee, it would be a shade farm, uh, multi-story biodiversity in in the farm level. And um, this is now being regulated by the United States Department of Agriculture under the the National Organic Program. But before that, it was run by a handful of agencies in the United States, private agencies. And there was a belief um, during, you know, back then, during that time that, you know, if you were organic certified by, uh, you know, the independent agencies, you were doing real type of advanced farming and you would see concepts like permaculture or agroecology are are kind of uh, next level aspects of organic agriculture. The downside with the USDA is that the regulations um, uh, have allowed for large scale farming. So a lot of people have kind of been disillusioned with the organic movement Mm. and have been looking for that that original grassroots movement and, and, and what's the next step. And we'll get into that later. What I think the next step is here. Well, so, okay. So let me ask you this. So why just out of my own curiosity, why would there be disillusionment for USDA organic on like a big farming scale? Is it, is it because they think it's, not accurate or because they don't like it being big farms can do it or is there something well the big farms lead to monoculture which is Mm. the the main thing so in in traditional organic agriculture having a monocrop one plant only is quite difficult to do on any kind of scale because the you are you're going to you're going to lack defenses at the farm level right for pest damage for blights for disease in a biodiverse environment it becomes its own food chain and you have this kind of equilibrium that's created that keeps the farm in balance um, with uh, the organic materials research institute what they call omri they're allowing a certain, um, uh, I don't want to say chemicals, because it's not really chemicals, but certain applications of items that uh, take the place of biodiversity. So, you know, like an insecticide, that's a natural, natural insecticide, mm-hmm. or a fungicide or an herbicide. Um, those are starting to be allowed under the OMRI rules, but they're not synthetic and they're not considered some of the, the dirty dozen mm. um, that are damaging at the farm level. Okay. I got you. Um, and what we'll do for one uh, one out there is we will put the links to the details for a lot of these certifications um, in the show notes. And, and just as a general aside, I really want to say the, 
it is this is an important episode uh, because we see these certifications on the bag and and to be brutally honest you know sometimes it can just be marketing um you know as opposed to you know a genuine I mean, it might make you feel good because it's got the cute little frog or whatever on there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, this is, I just want to make sure uh, the 101ers, you know, we all know that this is this is good to have this real talk on what do these actual certifications mean. And um, just a couple of uh, other thoughts on that USDA organic. Um, it's not just for coffee, which Mark no. kind of said, it's, it's, this is a, a program that is across the board um, and you have to not use those prohibited substances for at least three years. Um, You have to have a buffer between these crops and other crops Mm -hmm. that are not grown organically and you must have a plan for soil erosion prevention. In addition to a handful of other things, the application process to start organic certification is like a 70 page application. And in in a coffee environment, if you're a a certified organic roaster, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, you have to have um, a plan that shows uh, if you're roasting organic and non-organic material, how you purge your roaster in between batches where you're clearly storing organic and non-organic products in your facility, um, extreme, you know, a, a very detailed record keeping on lot coding for your, your products yeah. to allow for recall. It, it's an involved process. Um, and even like different grinders and everything, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You can't have co-mingling is what you're trying, you know, trying to avoid with all of this. <laughs> it just sounds like some kind of something you would, some like a college uh, administration yeah. <laughs> administration would tell us um, exactly. there's no co-mingling. Um, <laughs> so, you know, another thing, and I wanted to get your opinion on this is I feel like there are farmers out there and you probably mm-hmm. have some through sustainable harvest um, where they're really small and they may not have the certification on some of these certifications we're going to talk about including usda organic right but they may also not be using all of these herbicides pesticides stuff like that because they can't they can't afford the certification but they also may not be able to afford um the you know pesticides and stuff right you know for a small farm it's cost prohibitive to actually go through the process to become certified organic under cooperatives you have a group certification. So if you have a large cooperative, say 40,000 farmers in a cooperative, um, then they can apply for a group certification and then the certifiers will inspect a representative sample of farms within Mm. that co-op. So your specific farm may not be inspected every year, but somebody within the co-op is, assuming that everybody's under the same type of agricultural plan. Um, also, uh, so yes, yeah, there are small farms that aren't, they can't afford agrochemicals, um, and they, uh, are form farming, uh, organically, but that doesn't allow anybody to make an organic claim. There's actually a 
an extensive list of banned terms that you can't mm. use in packaging that would allude to an organic nature of the product. I got you. Um, in addition, you know, one of the other issues that um, is not allowed is wild crafted. So you would, you know, if you were to go wander in the forest and go pick mushrooms, yeah, those aren't organic. You can't call them organic, even though if they're wild grown, like in Ethiopia, a lot of, you know, coffee yeah. is native there and there's a lot of wild coffee around. Uh, and there are people that collect that coffee and sell it. Um, that is not actively managed uh, a product with any type of agrochemical application, but you can't refer to that as organic either. Let me ask you this, um, and I don't know the answer to this, and I've asked uh, um, at least one or two other roasters um, if they know, uh, and they don't. Um, do you know if these like herbicides, pesticides, roast out in the roasting process since it goes up to we'll say above 400 degrees depending so so it's not a matter of them roasting out because a lot of the of the agrochemicals used are surface chemicals okay so the coffee what's being sprayed is the cherry Right. And in, and in processing, you're removing the cherry, the mucilage, you know, and then the, the parchment, you're down in the seed. Yeah. So there really isn't anything there. Um, but there are a, a handful of chemicals that are systemic that go into the root system and attack the oils of, of the coffee. Okay. Of, of the crop. You know, yeah. you could be dealing with a seed crop as well, like uh, nuts, for example. Those chemicals, you know, when you roast coffee and you see the oil on the surface, that's the oils that the chemical would be within that oil and would not be roasted off. Okay. And those are usually fungicides um, and herbicides that would, which are the the real nasty ones. So chemicals like furidan, for example, would go systemically into the oil of the crop. And um, for... You know, coffee consumers out there are one of oneers. We don't start seeing as roasters those oils come out until what I would call, we'll say, a medium dark to mm-hmm. definitely a dark roast, and and those oils actually coming out of the bean. Otherwise, they're right. they're still they're inside contained within the bean. Okay, well that right. was interesting. I was just curious about that. Um, let's talk about Rainforest Alliance. Sure. So Rainforest Alliance is a, it's non-governmental. So this is a <clears throat> private certifier. And this is, uh, this is uh, focused around uh, uh, farm safety, mm-hmm. of work, worker safety, um, uh, the preservation of biological species within a farm. It's uh, meant, uh, um, it also addresses a biodiversity in the sense of having habitat for uh, animal species within a farm. It's uh, popularized uh, mostly in coffee, chocolate, um, bananas. Uh, You'll see the the Rainforest Alliance seal used a lot. Um, It's been around for about 20 years and uh, and now they've added, uh, you know, a new layer with this regenerative farming. Although this is not to be confused with rock certification, which we'll talk about later, but uh, more and more people are addressing 
carbon capture, CO2 capture mm-hmm. uh, in, in ways to mitigate climate change. And Rainforest Alliance is a seal that's really uh, poised to, uh, to address climate change uh, in the way people who are Rainforest Alliance certified, um, you know, farm. But, but in addition, aside from the farming aspect, it's, you know, having adequate facilities, uh, restroom facilities for workers and, and um, a clinic on site. And, yeah. and um, so it would be, it would take place of like OSHA for the United States, the way you would look at it. Okay. That's a good way yeah. to put it. Yeah. So, so to, to kind of sum it up, it, it, like Mark said, sustainability standards for environmental, social, and economic factors. You think that's right. fair? Right. Okay. Um, and same thing with Rainforest Alliances. We'll put a link to those those actual details in the show notes. Um, let's talk about bird-friendly. So bird-friendly um, <clears throat> has somewhat disappeared as far as like it's very difficult to find bird-friendly coffee this was initially started but you, by, you think it's because it's it's so stringent or or what no okay. no it, it's it's that it uh was funded by the smithsonian migratory uh-huh. bird center and the audubon society so this was a concept that was really brought around in the late 90s okay and it, and it had to do with um you know birders birding um active birding uh, enthusiasts equal a significant uh, portion of the population, which is surprising to know this. And they are very concerned about the preservation of songbird species and migratory bird species. So they attached uh, their concerns to coffee because they were noticing as uh, Brazil was removing uh, native forest land to right. plant coffee farms and, and really cattle farms mm-hmm. in large swaths that they were noticing a shifting of the migratory bird patterns throughout what they call the Paseo Pantera, which is a, a corridor that goes from Brazil and Colombia all the way to the United States. And so the certification had to do with preserving a, a, an amount of shade cover or uh, upper canopy trees mm-hmm. to allow birds to rest in their mi- migration pattern. I, I believe it was a really <clears throat> interesting certification, pretty ahead of its time. Yeah. And now if they were to reemerge um, and address it as biodiversity and carbon capture that also helps bird species, uh, it would do quite well if it yeah. were to make a comeback. There is a, a doctor, Dr. Bob Rice, was really the champion of the SMBC, Smithsonian Migratory Bird Center certification. Mm-hmm. Uh, still comes to the conventions. You still yeah. see him around. I saw him in Boston. You did, yeah. yeah. So the amount of actual certified farms has dwindled because I believe funding from Smithsonian has uh, gone away. And really organic has kind of proven to be the market leader. So a lot of the farms that were SMBC certified either went to rainforest or organic uh, because the amount of marketing that was happening was much larger. Smithsonian yeah. uh, certified bird-friendly coffee was really being marketed specifically through Smithsonian Magazine uh, and the Audubon Society. And that uh, while that's still a significant market, it wasn't enough compared to what Rainforest and, and USDA was doing. I think they could probably name it something different 
have almost all of the same criteria mm-hmm. and probably be okay and it still cover birds but you're right organic rainforest alliance stuff like that those are those make you feel good like when you buy the bag uh certifications as far as the current you know culture goes um so yeah so i i i think i think you hit the nail on the head is 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 maybe keep it but figure out how to even if smithsonian isn't the you know majority leader in it but but has some kind of input in it um maybe figure out some other name uh for it you know because we talked about you said you know the coffee does have to be certified organic the some other criteria that i saw the canopy needs to be 12 at least 12 feet high with dominant trees species dominant tree species being native uh a minimum of of 40 percent shade cover after pruning which if you think about it a lot that's a lot that's a lot mm-hmm. of shade cover, which, like you said, is giving those birds a rest from all that flying. And then, well, go ahead. I was going to say, in addition, what, you know, from a coffee consumer's perspective, why, you know, if you're just into the taste of coffee, uh, traditional varieties like Bourbon and Tipica and Woosh Woosh and Ikatu and all these exotic yeah. varieties that people are hearing about, um, those are relying on shade to survive. They can't be farmed in full sun. Right. So if you're just a, a, a coffee heirloom wonk, uh, supporting shade grown is important because it guarantees most likely it's a traditional species of coffee, yeah. uh, not a, a full sun hybrid, which you would see in Brazil traditionally or Vietnam. Right. Right. Cool. All right. So that's bird friendly. Let's talk mm-hmm. about fair trade. So fair trade uh, is a uh, started in uh, Europe under the name Max Havilar, uh, okay. and has spread in you know across the world now. And it how, has. How do to I know do, that name, Max Havilar? Yeah, What's... Max Havilar was uh, wrote about uh, the um, the abuses of coffee pricing uh, in Java. It started okay. in Java and has spread throughout the world. And this addresses the, the unfair trade of coffee. Um, traditionally, coffee has traded below the cost of production mm. uh, globally. And uh, fair trade establishes, uh, the, and it's, this is specific to small farmers. So this is cooperative farming, small farm movement. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it creates a, a floor price, a minimum fo- floor price for coffee, so that there is a, a guarantee of cost of production coverage, uh, some investment money to put into the farm, and the ability to save money for the future for the family. And that price, um, you know, is above the cost of production. Mm-hmm. Whereas the historical close on coffee has been around a dollar five um going back to when the coffee market started and, and you're cost and, per- and sorry for for our one oneers out there you're talking about a a dollar five for one pound. green one pound of green coffee of green coffee yep All right, with go ahead. cost of production sitting around a dollar to a dollar fifteen at any given time so yep. if from a business standpoint you know, on paper, coffee is a horrible <laughs> trade to get yeah. into. Yeah. Uh, and this is not factoring in for 
high grade coffee. Yeah, anything else. High in specialty, yeah. but exchange grade coffee. So fair trade addresses that. I think that fair trade has, uh, and then fair trade USA uh, has started to allow states, single large estates to participate. And that's the idea is, is it allows uh, uh, the ability to support farm workers on a farm. Uh, this is not allowed in Fair Trade International, uh, which is addressing, you know, Europe and, and, and Japan. Uh, so there is a little bit of difference there. Um, yeah. And, and Fair Trade is, uh, you know, has had its share of controversies over the year. It's, it's always kind of struggled to keep up with current uh, issues. Like they haven't addressed the floor price in over 11 years. Mm. And obviously with inflation, as you know, we're experiencing today, costs have gone up. So um, it it's, was very much an academic driven seal uh, that uh, if you were to criticize fair trade, it's that they're a little bit out of touch with how the trade actually works. You know, it's to analyze it from a, academic standpoint is not the same of being in the trade and, you know, working extensively with farm farming groups and understanding uh, the, the fluctuation of costs of agricultural production. So, all right. So tell me this, I'm just curious, um, you know, full transparency and honesty mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, specialty grade coffee um, mm-hmm. as a roaster, um, you know, we probably pay, you know, three, four, sometimes five, six, or even, you know, rarely $7, uh, per pound green Mm -hmm. coffee. Um, that's not counting, you know, water loss and all your, you know, production wages, all that kind of stuff. And fair trade, that number is significantly lower than what we pay in specialty coffee. So just explain that to me. I, I don't, you know, what, what, what's the deal with that gap? So there, there's a couple things to consider in that gap. The, the one is, is what you're paying for uh, that coffee, the three, four, five dollars a pound is not what the farm gate pricing is of that coffee, mm-hmm. because you have to take into consideration the cost of import, the cost of milling, um, the, uh, you know, the, the cooperative costs. Um, so there are a lot of layers and then to take in the, the, the bigger factor into that is that most farms don't produce a hundred percent specialty That's true. coffee. Yep. It's a percentage of the total production. And as we talked about in the grading episode, um, you know, if, if we're grading off specialty grade for you, there's a significant amount of uh, off-grade coffee that still has to be sold right and and that coffee would normally capture that's where the real hit is being felt by the farmer is that you know there's an argument to be made because a lot of you know like uh, really high-end specialty uh, buyers would travel to origin and say you know if you put off this micro micro lot for me i'll give you 30 40 50 dollars a pound mm-hmm. But sometimes removing that one or two percent of the coffee, then the farmer has a low grade of 90 percent left over that they have to sell at a much lower price. Right. Sometimes it makes more sense to homogenize that coffee together in one grouping and get a higher overall average price. So fair trade somewhat addresses that by 
offering a floor price for everything that you produce at a minimum. Yeah. So yes, the high-end specialty is somewhat removed from the argument. Although I would add, um, you know, what people are arguing right now is, well, the market's sitting at $2, you know, 24 cents or something today for a pound of coffee. Um, well, farmers are making well above the fair trade price. And what they're not taking into consideration is that with inflation uh, and fuel costs increases, uh, uh, fertilizers have skyrocketed in price. Mm-hmm. Jute bags have skyrocketed in price. Uh, farm labor has uh, increased in price. So the farmer is not just flush with cash now because the market's up. It's it's very it's not it doesn't work. No that way necessarily yeah no i totally agree with you and and i guess um also to clarify when you know i'm saying what we're paying you know per green coffee uh i think we need to be paying at least that you know if not more absolutely honestly because um and, and what we're trying to do with coffee 101 here is lend hopefully some education into all of the moving parts and all the people um, in the process. And I would love to see, and I think it will, uh, coffee move more towards, uh, the investment we see people put into wine and into beer. Do you have a business where you need coffee? Maybe you have a coffee shop with a higher than you'd like turnover of baristas, or, you know, your customers want to know more about coffee. Coffee 101 is your answer. Encourage them to subscribe to this podcast and leave the education up to us. Now get back to work, you ambitious goal seeker. And don't forget your coffee. You need your coffee. We talked about a few episodes ago. I had uh, Alika Lifty uh, with Onyx Coffee Lab on. And, you know, when we're talking about coffee processing methods, uh, I mean, you know, we... You may be taking the washed bean uh, in in the wash process and then just putting it into these, um, you know, drums for fermentation and then these these uh, patios for drying. And when you compare that to in the wine, and, and a lot of times even now, it's whatever bacteria or yeast is local to that area, you know, versus... If you have, I mean, wine, and you know this a lot better than I do, being mm-hmm. from Northern California, um, I mean, it's exact. They know exactly what strain of bacteria or whatever they're using to ferment. And, right. You it's know, not wild yeast in the air. Yeah. Like what we have here. Yeah. So, anyway, all that to say. Although, yeah, although I would argue also that, I mean, one of the things I have given this this presentation, going back to the early 90s, um, you know, arguably what you're selling as a roasted product uh, is some of the best coffee in the world. Yeah. I mean, on, on the grand right. stage, what you're doing is the best coffee in the world. And, and let's just assume you're paying $5 a pound for that green coffee, you know, and you've probably paid $5 a pound for a good Kenya or whatever. Right. For the best, the best of that, you know, particular country, in the, at least in the top, of what's produced in that given country. And what that ends up being, you know, you get 45 cups out of a pound of coffee. Mm -hmm. 
So that turns out to be 11 cents a serving at $5 a pound. And if you sold this coffee for for $20 a pound, if you sold it at retail, that's uh, 22 cents a serving for the best coffee in that country. Now, where are you going to get the best glass of wine in Napa Valley for 22 cents or (laughs) the best cigar in Cuba or Nicaragua or the best beer in uh you know heady topper what if it was 22 cents a bottle it's an unheard of foodie bargain you know coffee continues to be a crazy bargain absolutely consumers and so when people tell me wow coffee is just getting too expensive i mean coffee should be a dollar a serving for the best yeah that would be 50 dollars a pound yeah if if we're talking a dollar a serving and a dollar a serving is still a deal. I can't get a glass of wine for a dollar a glass anywhere. I can't yeah. get a beer that's good for a dollar. Yeah, you're right. Um, so we there's a lot of room there. Uh, you know, coffee is not salt and ketchup, and it, it's not a condiment where it's supposed to be cheap. Yeah, and you know, commercial coffee certainly is. Uh, you know, you drive through what's that town? Uh, Wall Drug. You see the signs. Yeah, in uh, so South many Dakota. miles. I have been there. Uh, is that what five cent? A yeah, cup five cent. Or? Five cent. I I have actually had that five cent cup oh, of coffee. So I have too. So you know, at that you get what you get, right? So yeah. you can't. And you don't pitch there. a fit. Yeah, no, you you appreciate it for what it is. But when you're talking about the types of coffees that you're roasting, coffee's still a bargain, no matter what the market is right now. And for people expecting less than that, you know, it, it's it's not realistic with everything else that you buy that you consider high quality. Yeah. And what, so a couple of things with that one is, um, and I know one on oneers we're getting off here, but this is important <laughs> and we're going to get back to certifications in a second. Um, we had, we did a couple of episodes on coffee history and when, when coffee first hit, uh, Europe, the equivalent today price would be about, I think it was $36 a cup you know, like a cup of coffee, not a bag of coffee. Um, And so that's one thing. Another thing I was thinking about it, and I've seen currently with prices going up is I have seen the amount total in a bag of good coffee go down. So like instead of a 12 ounce bag, you know, you have a a, a, eight ounce or a 10 ounce bag. And, um, and so anyway, so we'll see how it shakes out. But yes, yes, we both we're both thinking the same on that. Yes. <laughs> um, so a couple more things I wanted to make sure we say for fair trade, uh, and you kind of alluded to this. It gets confusing, but there's a couple of different entities. There's Fair Trade International, which its mm-hmm. U.S. wing is Fair Trade America, which right. is different than Fair Trade USA. Yes. But just simplicity wise, we'll just say. You know, they're all trying to, you know, at least they use the same inspection trade. standards and body. Yeah. Um, so they do share that. Yeah, I feel like one one lends better towards small producers, and one lends better towards uh, you know the bigger producers. But correct. And we'll put a link for both of those in the show notes. Okay, let's talk about carbon neutral. Well, carbon neutral doesn't really have a certification yet. There's a four C has what um, with four C is a European um, 
certification body uh, are coming out with a climate friendly certification, but it's not uh, complete yet. Okay. Uh, but carbon neutral, you know, again, as we talked about with uh, Shea Grown, they are the closest to lending themselves to a carbon neutral certification model. Rainforest Alliance would be probably close to it. Um, but the, the concept of climate or carbon neutral is that the farm is actually uh, not producing carbon or not releasing carbon uh, at all. That when the math works yeah. out, it's neutral or negative or po- carbon positive, where it's removing carbon from the atmosphere. Now, under any biodiverse farm, that sh- theoretically should be happening mm-hmm. at any level. So you'll see in a multi-story farm, you've got your coffee, you'll have like a mid-level, um, like avocado and mango trees, and you'll have upper story like mahogany mm-hmm. and then inga trees. When you look at all of that, the carbon capture on the farm is quite significant and therefore they would be carbon positive. And uh, in the long-term play is carbon credits, you know, the ability for a farm to be paid to have biodiversity and multi-story products, um, they would make additional income from store, from removing carbon from the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'd like to see some kind of marriage of this concept and the bird-friendly. Um, yeah, and well, see where that well, goes. there is, and we'll get into that later. Okay, all right. Yeah, stay with us, one on one. So now we're going <laughs> to talk about um, direct trade. So direct trade is an interesting one. I have uh, traditionally, if anybody Googles my name, they're going to find some controversial statements I've made about direct trade. Okay. But the concept of direct trade is that I'm dealing directly with the farmer. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and the company I work for, Sustainable Harvest, the relationship model allows for you as the roaster to deal directly with the farmer. And what we're doing is handling your logistics from there. So that's a direct trade model. This was started by a group of, 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 of buyers from my generation um, that are all well-known that traveled around and worked with farms and were eschewing, basically taking the importer and using them as a logistics services provider only, mm-hmm. Uh, a glorified UPS driver moving coffee from A to B. And then all of the negotiations on quality, on sorting, on price was between myself and the farmer. And I think while the, the idea is sound and while the concept was good, there was no regulation. There was no enforcement. There was no standards. And a lot of people adopted the term Mm-hmm. If they had been to the farm and taken a picture with somebody yeah. on their arm, that's direct trade. And right. People were getting called out for that at the height of that, like being saying, look, you know, I know you bought this through this importer. That's not direct trade. And it just became chaotic. But the concept is a direct relationship between farm and roaster, similar in the wine world where I live here to a vineyard and a winery. Mm-hmm. There's not really a middleman in there, um, but it's an oversimplification and an overvilification of importers because the, the common um, reputation at that time was importers are this middleman that take 
a lion's share of the profits and they don't really provide any value. And the reality is, is when you look at the economics and this has all been fleshed out, the importer doesn't really make a significant amount of, um, of income compared to the farm and to the roaster. Mm-hmm. And what they provide is financial services to both sides of the trade. So from a, um, a, a roaster standpoint, if you're bringing in a container of coffee and I, as the importer, you know, do that import and then you're releasing 20 bags a week to roast, I'm financing the bulk of that container until you remove all that coffee. You don't have to pay for the entire container when it lands. You're only paying for the coffee that you're pulling. So that is, turns the importer really into a financier of your business um, which is important. Secondly, which what happens a lot in coffee is, you know, you may, I, you know, find a coffee and fall in love with it and I import it for you. And in transit, the coffee has phenol, has um, um, over fermentation notes, uh, has potato defect, which is what we talked about earlier. And in that model, when that coffee lands, if it comes in like that, you can reject that coffee to me, the importer, and I have to then deal with the mess. Right. Under direct trade, you know, I would do direct, tra- I do direct trade for a lot of roasters as an importer and the coffee would come in and it would be defective and they'd say, Hey, I want to reject this lot. And I would look at them like, you're not, are you, you're not rejecting it to me. I was the UPS driver. Yeah. If my sweater from J crew doesn't fit me properly, the UPS driver doesn't hand me a refund. Right. I got to get that back to J crew to get the refund. So yeah. I could help you facilitate getting that back to origin, but realistically you need to contact the, the producer and work it out in a traditional import model. I handle all that for you. It's not a problem. So right. You know, I, direct trade tells a nice story. It's a very romantic story, but when you really get into the the nitty gritty of it, it's it sounds better than it really is. Yeah, and um, and yeah, there are a lot of ways to achieve what you're trying to accomplish um, than doing this model that you know has been popularized for quite some time now. Yeah, and I think if somebody does it, uh, like really does it. Uh, and and there is no importer there in the middle. Um, like you alluded to, I mean, the roaster is taking on more responsibility um, because they can't turn down, you know, that that lot uh, that comes right. in. And, and this year it wasn't as good as it was last year for whatever reason, um, you know, and – Ed, you're right. It is kind of a wild west as far as uh, um, the ambiguity of using the word direct trade currently in coffee. Um, and maybe hopefully somebody can shore that up over time or they can change it to something like what y'all use at Sustainable Harvest uh, Relationship Coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, which may be in a similar vein um, or may technically be a little different. Yeah, it's not really different from the original core because the the relationship model is all about your relationship to the farm. I don't really get involved in, in that other than providing the movement logistics. Now we take it one step further as we'll facilitate training and development for yeah. you. 
but you're still involved in that. The other thing about import traditionally is, I mean, the whole coffee game is about mitigating risk, pushing right. risk off. In a direct trade model, the risk is all on the roaster. Right. You know, th- the coffee, like right now with the logistical crisis we're seeing globally, what used to take 60 days to get coffee from Indonesia to the United States is now taking eight months. Yeah. So if you were to buy this coffee under direct trade terms and your container takes eight months and the coffee loses three cupping points in the process. Right. That's just on you. It's and so then you're you're shouldering the risk. Now, if you had two brands, one is your specialty brand and one is a commercial brand, well, you could put those mistakes into your commercial entity and and yeah. sell it and be fine. But that's what we do as an importer. If if you reject the coffee to me, then I find a commercial you know customer that wants to buy that mistake. So it, it direct trades about who wants to take the risk on, and that's that's. Um, you know, and if you're willing to do that now, I just returned from Europe where I, uh, got, I got to board a a sailing ship Uh that just had sailed 150 bags of coffee from Colombia to the Netherlands. Yeah. And the coffee was in the hole of this sailing boat and it just had cleared customs in the Netherlands. And the sail of the ship had this big manifesto written on, the sale about why it's important to move coffee via sailing ships, not using diesel fuel and container huh. boats. And this very romantic story. I mean, that's direct trade. That is like, that's taking it to the extreme example. Yeah. That you actually move the coffee as well. They were four months on board of a sailing ship. Yeah, I was going to say that probably took a long, lot longer. Yeah. And they're, they were going to roast it uh, the next day. And yeah. it was amazing. I mean, that's, that's, that well, was impressive. Now, not, pra- pragmatically, <laughs> can all of us participate in that? No. no. But it, yeah. But like, um, yeah, it's harder, I think, yeah, for a small roaster for to, to, to actually do something like this because of what you're talking about with the risk um, and maybe a little better for, you know, the bigger roasters. But let's talk about the final certification the one that i didn't know about and that you're going to tell me and all the one-on-oneers about rock certification yes so rock certification which is and it doesn't have anything to do with rocks or doesn't have anything to do with rocks it's regenerative organic certification this certification was created uh by the uh, by Patagonia, the clothing company, cool, and and Dr. Bronner's soap company. If you've ever been to like a health food store and you've seen the soap in a bottle with all this text written all over it, yeah, um, it's a large soap company in the U.S. Here, okay, and it, it was about taking organic farming to the original that 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 advanced level of organic farming that has to do with regenerative farming. So this is a type of farming, they would call it permaculture, or they would call it agroecology, where the, uh, you have a fo- the, the farm is a living system, where it's dealing with pests on its own, with its own food cycle, it's creating nutrients at the farm level, and it's, cap- it's regenerating the, the farm itself. That is capturing carbon, mm. that is regenerating the soil nutrients, that is a full system. And that certification was initially created for fiber crops for Patagonia and seed oil crops, which was for Dr. Bronner's, but has now 
morphed into um, chocolate, bananas, and coffee. Um, and, uh, and then of course, like nuts for the seed oil. Yeah. Um, this is in line with your, you know, climate friendly or carbon neutral style of farming. It is a, it, so to be rock certified, you need to be organic certified. Mm-hmm. You need to be fair trade certified or fair trade equivalency. So you can show that there is a, a minimum floor price for the coffee. Yeah. And then you have to demonstrate that you're farming in a way that is removing carbon from the atmosphere faster than it's being put into it. And your, your farming methodology is showing that the, the farm itself is regenerative. Because of this, cert- this certification, like if you go on YouTube, there's been a lot of videos created about this. Whole Foods has gotten behind this. Amazon has gotten behind this as far as sourcing these products. Yeah. Delta Airlines just announced that all of the blankets that you will see on the airlines are going to be made from regenerative fibers. Huh. So you're getting companies online with this because it, it's de- dealing with mitigating climate change through yeah. agriculture. Um, in uh, Illy Cafe, uh, the, the Italian mm-hmm. espresso just planted a regenerative demonstration farm in Italy with goals of, of starting to get into regenerative coffee. Um, Nestle, or excuse me, Nespresso has, uh, through their AAA sourcing program, uh, has started with a regenerative project in Brazil to source Brazilian coffee. So this certification is gaining steam quickly. Yeah. Sounds like, um, but it's kind of like that organic plus plus program. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still relatively new the, the first containers, there's two containers of certified regenerative rock coffee, uh, that, that came out in 2022. We purchased all of it and sold it already. And, and we're training within the sustainable harvest system, uh, our farms to go to regenerative to rock certification, because we believe it's where the consumers, you know, the consumers are willing to pay to mitigate climate change. And they're willing, they understand that farming, uh, that agriculture is one of the, the, the fastest ways to mitigate climate change because it has the largest impact uh, yeah. in, in industry. Yeah. That's awesome. So I guess, I guess in my world, you know, I relate a, st- a lot of stuff to barbecue. This is like, this is like the sampler. This has a little bit of everything that they're, that they're bringing in into, uh, I guess you'd say the plates. Um, right. So, well, that's awesome. So tell us uh, anything else that you can think of that we missed or we want to make sure we hit on certifications before we get you out of here. Yeah, I would say that, you know, the one thing is I understand from a consumer standpoint on what they call label fatigue. Mm. On uh, When you look at a package, there's just all these certs and seals and what does it mean and what's legitimate and what's not. And I think that when you look at the main, like we talked about the main ones today, they all touch on specific aspects of things that may or may not be important to you as a consumer. Mm -hmm. And so it's easy to kind of hone in on the ones that resonate with you uh, and, and be okay with the ones that don't. I mean, these seals are not for everybody. And I used to joke, you know, like I can create a seal tomorrow and call it sea turtle safe coffee, right? Even though coffee's grown nowhere near where sea turtles are, but because people care about sea life, 
they would support that right <laughs> and support my seal and make me rich even though it, the the product has nothing to do with you know each other so be okay with supporting the ones that mean something to you if you're a birder and you know you're Audubon society and this is important to you you know go go find that that shade grown certification it's perfectly okay and you know if if uh, you know the environment's important to you supporting organic and supporting rainforest alliance and rock that's great um, I, I could just say that to be doing nothing, to be a farm that's not saying anything is going to be increasingly difficult to yeah. survive because the, the public, no, they're willing to pay for you to, to push the boundaries. Yeah. It's not like they're asking for all this stuff and they're not willing to pay for it. These premiums are real and they're significant. And as a roaster, you know, when you get pricing, there's a big difference between a pure conventional coffee and an organic fair trade coffee as far as how it's priced. Right. And most consumers have fully embraced that notion and, and have been willing to pay for it so far. I mean, if somebody's willing to pay $120,000 for a Tesla thinking yeah. that they're actually going to stop climate change by that car, you know, it just goes to show you that people's hearts are in the right place and they're willing to use their pocketbook to be in the right place as well. Yep. Well, listen, it was great to have you on and uh, people can find you. You are, let's see, NorCal Globetrotter, right? On, yes, on Instagram. On Instagram. Yeah. And um, Sustainable Harvest is um, S-U-S-T-H-A-R-V, Sustharv on Instagram. On uh, Instagram or yep. sustainableharvest.com. Yeah, which is super easy to remember. But we'll put links to all that in the show notes. And Mark Inman from Sustainable Harvest, great to have you on today. Hey, thank you. It was a pleasure. So now we know what all those certifications mean. Right. I'm glad I know now. Yes. And so you know that, you know, there's a little bit good, maybe a little ambiguous about mm. some of those certifications. Yep. Uh, some of it's marketing. Right. Um, but some of it is genuinely yeah. moving the needle towards the world being a better place. True. Well, Katie, I enjoyed having you in the studio again. Enjoyed being here. And Coffee 101ers, thank you for listening. Uh, the show would be pretty miserable and pathetic if nobody listened to That's it. That's true. That would be really sad. But we're happy that That's y'all That's true. We are it. happy. We're so glad that y'all are here. Coffee 101 is brought to you by Humble Coffee Company. I'm Kenneth Thomas, and today I was joined by my coffee friend, Katie. That's me. What do you want to learn about in the coffee verse? Leave us an awesome rating and let us know in the comments section. We appreciate and read all the feedback we get. The coffee community is the best in the world, and I love being a part of it with you. Catch you next time on Coffee 101, brought to you by Humble Coffee Co. Love y'all. Love you guys.